podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Do you have any cheese at all? No. <laughs> A senseless waste of human life. Hello everybody, cheeseheads around the world listening to the Cheese Room Podcast. I am the founder of the Cheese Room Podcast, Mr. Jolly from Sydney, and I am joining you in the host's chair today. I've pushed Vlad aside, I've pushed Paul aside, all of the wannabes are out of the way, and it's just me back driving this along, and it would not be a fantastic episode of the Cheese Room Podcast midweek show if I was not joined by a Tottenham legend, winner of the 1984 UEFA Cup, former uh, toy boy lover of Olivia Newton-John, he is Gary Stevens. Uh, hello to you, Mr. Jolly. You do sound reasonably jolly under the circumstances. I'm doing my very best to be exactly the same and upbeat and positive. Difficult times, not only for the world with you know, this coronavirus, but also for the not-so-mighty Spurs at the moment, eh? Yes, indeed, it is. <laughs> they are very difficult times. I have really no excuse to not be jolly with my name, so whatever's happening, I try and keep a smile on my dial, as they say. Uh, in today's show, we'll be discussing the loss to uh, Leipzig, the ramifications of the exit from Europe, the role of the gaffer Jose Mourinho and all of this, the players, the ownership, and goddamn luck, and ask where we go next... Joining myself and Gary to do all of these things is our match reviewer extraordinaire, Sebastian Short. Seb, how are you? I'm okay. I don't know if uh, if I'm going to follow my name. Uh, short-tempered, uh, short of patience. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to be uh, to be a little bit more jolly, but I wouldn't expect too much. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just get jumped straight into it. Uh, it it was an error-prone start, wasn't it, uh, Gary? Uh, we, we actually looked okay compared to the first game. We are on the front foot, but individual errors by Hugo Lloris and, and Aurea really killed the game off, didn't they? It, it was done after that. Well, yeah, in actual fact, and, and again on the commentary, um, it was mentioned when, when Spurs went one behind, it was suggested it was a little bit against the run of play, but... You and I had some messages going backwards and forwards the day before, didn't we? And, you know, one of the, the talking points between us was, you know, do Spurs really have much of a chance here? Um, and I gave them absolutely zero chance, unfortunately. Even I couldn't summons up the energy to send over some positive vibrations and some positive energy because I just couldn't see it happening. And... Uh, I think you have to say that across 90 minutes, Spurs were way, way short of where they need to be. And, and what makes you, what made you, sorry, be, I guess, so negative? Is it the fact that, like, last season, when we came back against top sides, when we surely, you know, were more likely to lose against Manchester City and against Ajax, we had players like Hummin Son and match winners in the team, didn't we, did you write us off then as well, and were you surprised, or is this was this worse and different? Well, last season I felt that Spurs always had a threat. You know, even if they weren't playing well, there was a threat going forward, um, and you know there just doesn't appear. Well, 
there isn't a real threat going forward. And, you know, you can understand that when, you know, Kane is out injured, Son is out injured, um, Bergvine's out injured now as well. Um, and, you know, it does add up. You know, who who is going to really threaten for Spurs in the, the top third of the park? OK, I know you'll say, well, last season in the Champions League, Lucas Moura, you know, scored that wonderful hat-trick. Um, but again, you know, he, he had more energy and more positivity around him as well. And, you know, sadly, that's just not there because of circumstances. Yeah, that's right. We'll get back to the errors in a second, Seb, because I, I know you have a point about that relating to who what kind of players making the errors. But let's let's just talk a little bit about the difference between this year and last year for a moment. When Mora scored those goals, it was Lorente up front causing havoc, and then Deli Ali feeding off Lorente and and then feeding Mora. But the way we are at the moment, Deli's being asked to do way much more than what he's capable of doing, isn't he? He doesn't really have anybody to play off. No Harry Kane, no Lorente. Yeah, well, the truth um... is that... that, one, on, that Seb, one... Your turn, mate. Go for it. Well, yeah, we've, uh, we'll come on to this a bit later, but there's catastrophic uh, individual errors that that, um, that have cost us, but then the, the errors go um, way higher up the club. And if, uh, you know, it wasn't just Lorente... Um, you know, Kieran Trippier in that uh, in that second game against Ajax, he put in uh, the cross that um, resulted in Mora getting the second goal. We don't have him. We don't have Lorente. We we yes, we've got terrible, terrible injuries. I've never really known anything like it. Um, but there was no threat. You, you, we're not solid at the back. There's no midfield. There is no midfield. You know, Lacelso is not the entire midfield. There is no midfield, and there's no attacking threat. So. Uh, yeah, I wasn't feeling positive beforehand. And, um, you know, the first 10 minutes, the commentators were saying, uh, yeah, they, 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 they're, they're going OK, they're trying hard. And we were. You know, that's the minimum you expect is players to try hard. It's a Champions League last 16 game. If you, if you don't try hard, what, then we really have got problems. Um, but it's all going to boil down to the fact that the players on the pitch that we have available aren't good enough. Mm. And, and on those errors, Seb, like, it wasn't, as you mentioned, you know, young players or, or Parrot coming off the bench and making errors. It was experienced players. I mean, Ori is, what, 26 or 27, but you really need more from Hugo Lloris, don't you? Uh, undoubtedly, yeah. And I know he's had injuries um, and um, other maybe personal issues going back 18 months or, uh, you know, two years, but th- there's no excuse. He's not been good enough. Um those both of those shots needed saving. I saw somewhere someone uh, online blaming Tanganga for the second goal. <laughs> Maybe, but the, the the shot still needs saving, or the header still needs saving. The first one is is awful. His positioning is is terribly wrong. Uh, he's standing too close to the goal line. Um, can't do anything. Uh, oh, it's so it's just so infuriating because, like you say, it's not. Troy Parrott making a mistake or Oliver Skip making a mistake. It's your World Cup winning captain uh, making a mistake. And you're right back. Um, I mean, he's not a right back, is he? Oh, this is just, it's just getting repetitive, going around and around, digging out players who should be doing better. 
we know we've got the injuries we know we've got the uh, we know we've got problems from top to bottom but individual errors will always always make you suffer you, there's no legislating for it people saying Mourinho this Mourinho that he can set the team up however you like and you can agree with it or disagree with it but if after 10 minutes your goalkeeper makes a catastrophic error and after 20 minutes you're right back can't head a ball either forward or out of play you, what's he meant to do? Mm. On Lloris, we're going to come to this a bit later in the show, but let's just dive into it now in terms of the blame game and stuff like that. But I'd like to sort of, rather than sort of, you know, jump kicking and screaming about what happened and, and losing it, knocking us out of this, you know, Champions League, trying to look for sort of like moving forward what we might see happen. And I just wonder, Gary, based on your experience back in the day, did you ever have a moment at training or at games and stuff like that when you looked at a player at a certain age and just thought to yourself and you probably would never actually say it to somebody this guy's past his best and and relating that back to Loris is Loris past his best as well um I, I think in all honesty yeah there there possibly were occasions um and a a great friend of mine who funnily enough played as a goalkeeper at Spurs Ray Clements you know coming towards the end of his time at Spurs, um, ironically, he picked up a, a couple of injuries, an Achilles injury problem. Um, and, yeah, I, he was in decline, um, you know, as great a goalkeeper as he'd been over the years. Um, and eventually Ray, you know, retired as a player. I can see possibly some similarities between Ray and Lloris at the moment. Um, you know, Lloris is considerably younger than Ray was at the time. Um, and, and I think even with myself as well, um, you know, and I'd had a couple of bad injuries at Spurs and ultimately I left the club and I was playing down at Portsmouth. And I have to admit the medical setup, the, the prehab, the rehab, the, the treatment, the training, no training ground as such just wasn't good enough. But I realised that that I was starting to, or the game had caught me up, put it that way, although very early, but that was early because of injuries. Um, you know, major, major injuries do definitely, potentially, quite often take, you know, time off the end of your career. It does, if it doesn't end your career, accumulation of injuries can shorten your career for sure. Yeah, well, there's definitely other things to talk about in terms of the players and, and what's going to happen moving forward. But let's stick with the game for a little bit longer, at least. What about the effort of the players? As we mentioned, it was a bit of a better start to the game than the home leg. Um, a few people have complained about the lack of effort, but it seemed like we were at least putting in a shift. Lamella was everywhere. Dyer and Winks were decent. Lacelso put a shift in too. We had 50% of the possession over the game. It wasn't like we were thrashed. Uh, did you think we were terrible, Gary? It wasn't the worst we've played this season, was it? Even though we lost 3-0. No, I don't think Spurs were terrible, but it's interesting. You know, you've just named four players out of 11 who you felt had put a shift in. Well, I've got to be honest, when you're playing at the top level, if there's one player who's not putting a shift in, then you're potentially in trouble. But you've just named... That means that there was arguably seven that kind of weren't putting a shift in. You're going to get beaten, especially if you're mm. up against a, 
a Leipzig side who play a high tempo game and by tempo um, it's about moving the ball quickly there's a free kick they're on it and they're off again you know they, they don't have too many touches on the ball it's one and it's two touch and it's and it's not backwards and sideways it's very often progressive down the park um, so if four putting in a good shift to use your words is enough well I disagree with you well said. Maybe we were definitely going to do this later in the show. I'm jumping all over the place, but let's let's get to. We were talking about the players and the blame. I've mentioned four here that I thought were okay. Um, I did not publish your scores on the Spurs internet for your match ratings because <laughs> I quite like my Facebook account. And what tends to happen after I post anything too negative is people report me to Facebook for being. Uh, some sort of dodgy person and I lose my account for a week. I was a bit worried about that <laughs> with your scores and your comments, mate. Do you want to give me some... I think you gave a couple of people a zero and a few. there were a few ones and zeros and twos in there. Who, who, who was bad, mate? I gave Ryan Sessignon a zero um, because, look, as, as I've said before and as Gary's hinted at, you know, effort is the, is the minimum requirement and I don't even think there was effort from Ryan Sessegnon and there was certainly no footballing ability on show. He he is shot on confidence and he's shot on skill. And let's be honest, his last season at Fulham in the in the Premier League, he wasn't any good. He was pretty terrible. We bought we spent thirty million pounds based on a player who had um, a very good season in the championship. Um that that's that's what we are that's what we paid our money for 30 million pounds mm. you know i don't want to start um going into what 30 million pounds could have bought us elsewhere when you look at james madison or maybe jack Grealish or or something like that but this kid is is shot now whether that's Mourinho's fault or just from injuries or whatever but there was no effort there was no attempt to take on a man uh, there was no attempt to do what he is being paid to do and what his requirement is. Mm. Um, personally, I don't think he'll be at the club next season, whether that's on loan or, or sold off. Um, he's not a left-back. He's not a left-winger, because if you're a left-winger, you need to take your man on. Um, so I don't even think he's a Premier League footballer. Well, there you go. Gary, what do you think about Sessegnon? It seems an, kind of like a gourmet or a, like buy now doesn't it like it doesn't seem to be really what we need at the moment certainly with Mourinho well I experienced not dissimilar when I came to Spurs to the extent that you know I, I came from Brighton which okay we were in the top flight but we just got relegated um, but Brighton as a football club then compared to Spurs it was you know a league below definitely um, the demands of playing for Spurs compared to Brighton were very, very different. Um, and, you know, it's tough to adjust. You know, you suddenly realise that you are very much more under the microscope and you've got to be a really strong person. So, so I don't know Sessignon as a person, um, but if he is mentally weak, if he does lack confidence... Um, and also he came in under difficult circumstances because he arrived with, and he was injured, which certainly doesn't help. That's the only defence I can give him. And the other point I'd like to make is that in the past, as a player, 
I've been slagged off and hammered by fans for apparently not trying. Well, I'm telling you, when it isn't going your way, when your confidence is down, when the team isn't playing well, then as hard as you try and the harder you try, quite often the less you achieve. So I think the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, you, you can you can close somebody down, you can make a run forward, you can do these types of things, but guess what? People aren't alongside you, backing you up as you close down. You know, you make that but Gary, run, but the pass isn't delivered. Gary, he wasn't doing any of those things. That was the problem. If you watched him, he didn't He didn't do the things that are the staple requirement of being a, a left-back or a left-wing-back or a left-winger. He didn't take his man on. Every pass went backwards. He didn't show for the ball. Those are minimum requirements, and that's what I'm talking about, effort. We can all run around a bit. That doesn't constitute effort. Effort is putting into practice the things that you do in training and fulfilling the your role, You know your, your requirements, the things that the manager will say to you. When you have the ball, I want you to take your man on. When you have the ball, I want you to look forward. When you have the ball, I want you to try and put a cross in. It didn't do anything. You didn't do any of it. And those are the minimum requirements, and therefore you get a zero. You didn't do anything that you're meant to be doing. Seb, I, I agree. It was very, very disappointing. I'm just trying to trying to paint. You know, let's be honest. It's easy to be critical of people in any walk of life, in any situation. A comedian on the TV doesn't make me laugh. I'm critical of him. Okay. What I'm trying to come up with is a a reason why. And you know, you've just actually said, well, you know, he's supposed to do what he's told to do in training. Do you know what he's been told to do in training? Mm, yeah, actually, I, I don't either. If I, really if, I can, if I can jump in here, I mean, that, this is a good segue. I, I, I don't think we're going to really have much joy going through all of the all of the player ratings last night. And the other thing is too, I don't know how much we can read into it, given all of the injuries and all of the changes and the fact once again that was a team that had never played together before, with players playing in positions that they hadn't necessarily played in before, certainly not together. But coming to this idea about what they are being told in training do you think they are being told stuff in training is Jose getting through to people and is there a coherent message from what you can see on the pitch Gary or does he get a free pass just because of all the injuries well no you don't get a free pass because of all the injuries because you know you've got a squad of players Um, you know there was there was plenty of internationals out there on that park wasn't there Um, I understand that coming into a club partway through a season, and I've done it my, myself out here in Thailand, it isn't particularly easy. The best time I had as a head coach out here in Thailand was when we actually had a scheduled six-week pre-season, but because they delayed the start of the season for two weeks, we actually had an eight-week pre-season. Um, and we started really well and did well because we had loads of time to work on it. You know. Mourinho's come into a club where um, it was struggling under Pochettino. It was struggling. Results weren't good. Football wasn't great. There was some disharmony. Um, And I think it is really difficult. That said, I believed that Mourinho would have had a bigger impact regardless of the injuries. I believe that he would have tightened things up and got them more solid and disciplined and organised. And for me, that hasn't happened. 
And what about you, Seb? Like, obviously, HG's been very, very critical of Jose. Some of the stuff that he's brought up, which I'll get to in a second. We haven't won in six games in all competitions. This is Jose's worst run in 935 professional games as a manager. Curious what you think about how much of this is on him. HG's first point, let's just go through these one by one. He says, we're playing formations that don't suit the players that we do have available. What do you say to that? What 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 formation does he want us to play? We had a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old on the bench last night. There was no one left. Yet we are absolutely bare bones. And going back to the to the training ground point, you can train all you like, playing a formation or or a certain setup, and then you know another one drops. It's it's like the bloody black plague. You know, if it's not Bergvine, it's then Sanchez. You know, Jose. I thought he was quite diplomatic last night and he, he alluded to the fact that he trained with the thought that Davinson Sanchez was, was, was going to play and then uh, Davinson Sanchez drops. Ben Davis drops the week before, Bergwijn, and we can go back and back and back. So, it, you know, there is, there is no continuity. Um, what, what, what would you have us have done last night? What would you, what, how would we have set up differently? There was no other option. I think, he, I, think, I think what HG's point would be, for example, Toby should not be playing on the left-hand side of a, of a back three. I mean, it's, he's better in the middle or on the right. And if he'd played Jan Vertonghen instead, I almost laughed when I said that. But I, if, he, if he'd played Jan Vertonghen instead, um, you know... Jose wants his, his centre-backs to have pace. Vertonghen's mm. done. For Jose, Vertonghen's done. Uh, he's playing Tanganga there um, at it, to make the point um, to the board not to give Vertonghen uh, another contract. He wants him off the wage bill. They have to have pace. You know, Toby Alderweireld is our fastest <laughs> central defender, and that, that, is, that, that is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, it didn't look good know, last night did it, when, um, when <laughs> the strikers were running at him. It... It, have we done the right thing with that three-year well, contract? There was a point as well. Uh, you know, Dyer came out of it and potentially with some credit, but there was a point last night where Werner picked the ball up in between the halfway line and the penalty area and just ran at Dyer. And Dyer was running backwards, couldn't even keep up with him. And then Werner turned, faced him up, and really it was it was it was a terrible terrible shot. It bloomed over the bar, but it just showed you. Uh, I mean, th- th- this is the other. Uh, point to make that four or five years ago when maybe Alderweire was at the top of his game Adair was, was was playing a different role pace at the back actually wasn't as crucial as it is now the game has moved on unbelievably in the last two or three years pace is everything speed is everything the Liverpool front three are as um, uh, as dy- dynamic as they are because of the pace that they mm. run in behind that they can get they can get to you or they can get to the ball quicker than the majority of defenses we have probably the slowest defense in the premier league you know there is no one there with any with a modicum of pace um, and it's it's awful here's one for you gary defend jose on this he says the players are so tired and he hasn't got a big enough squad then why didn't he make any subs until the 75th minute well, again, I can only refer to, you know, having been in the position myself where the decisions rest with me. I'm the head coach, admittedly at a different level, but at a, premier, at a, a professional club. Um, and 
you, you have to make the decisions that you feel are right. Um, you know, he's been saying to everybody, for example, this is Jose, that, that Troy Parrott isn't ready. And I know he's only had a couple of little cameo appearances, but when he came on against Norwich in the FA Cup, had a little bit longer, hardly featured in the game. And then when it came to doing what apparently he is meant to be good at doing, scoring goals, he's a striker. He has a free shot from 12 yards, which is a penalty, and the keeper saves it. So, you know, sometimes as a head coach, you look to protect people. You look to keep them out of that position because actually deep down you believe that if they go on, the situation's going to be even worse. Um, it's, listen, it's a devil of a job being a head coach of a club at the best of times. Mm. Absolutely. The other thing that it's a devil of uh, being is actually trying to run a football club at the very top. What about the board itself? You know, a few years ago, the 2016-17 team it really was a golden generation, wasn't it? For a couple of seasons there, you know, we, we challenged for the league title, um, basically two seasons running. We got 86 points in the 2016-17 team uh, season. We were unbeaten at home. It was a magic team, but um, we didn't strengthen. And, and now we're in this position that we're at. How much of that is on the board, Seb? What do you think? There's an article in The Athletic today which by, by Charlie Eccleshare which basically says Spurs are paying for their failure to overhaul their squad and now there is no quick fix. He talks about how players have been brought in but it usually takes at least one season, sometimes two seasons to have an impact and the article finishes by saying Delhi summed up the situation when he said in the aftermath of the Leipzig game, the team's confidence has gone. He and all the other stalwarts have desperately needed fresh faces to reinvigorate the Spurs squad, but they either did not arrive or they did so last summer when it was too late. Tonight illustrated the extent to which Tottenham are paying the price for that, and this is the worst bit, and you suspect they will be for a little while to come yet. Yeah, that, exactly that. Um... How how responsible do I think the board are? 100% responsible. There, you can talk about Pochettino, you talk about Mourinho, you talk about the players. Who is responsible for the situation and the decline that we've seen over the last two years? The board. 100% the board. I don't want to go into personal stuff here, but to give you an example, it may surprise you to know I'm not a full-time podcaster. Uh, I run a small business from home uh, and we trade electronic products. Um, seven, eight years ago, we were buying and selling iPhones like there was no tomorrow. Um, but I knew at the time it was going to be a limited opportunity. And therefore, I put into practice other things so that when the iPhones stopped, as they did, as they were always going to, I had other things to focus on and other things coming through that I could grow. R put that over to the, to the Tottenham board. You know, let's not kid ourselves. The board have got lucky on occasions. They got lucky with Maurizio Pochettino. They got lucky with Deli Alley. They got lucky with Eric Dyer. They even got lucky with Toby Alderweireld in the eleven million pound buyout. They have made catastrophic purchase errors, and they have made catastrophic <laughs> club errors, if you like, over the last twenty years. We can say there we can we can all pinpoint them. We can all pinpoint Kyle Walker leaving. We can all pinpoint 
Kieran Trippier leaving and not being replaced. We can all pinpoint Lorente. There is, there is, there's. We could talk about it. We could do three years worth of pods on the errors that have been made and the good things that have happened have been lucky. You know, David Pleat bought Deli Ali. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Daniel Levy. It was David Pleat literally saying, "You have to go and do this. You must do it." And even then, you know, we can talk about. Sadio Mane, we can talk about Sergio Aguero, Jack Grealish, James Madison, all the players, Ricardo Pereira, all the players we have been in for, and Daniel Levy has gone, nah. I guess the only only sort of caveat to that is there are these rumours about Pochettino being fussy and about him being the one who turned down some of these guys and that part of the reason why we didn't make signings was, was down to him as well. But coming back to this idea about and he can, maybe we can finish on this and get into our, our bell end and champs of the week stuff. Uh, you know, we had, until Pochettino arrived, Gary, Tottenham had had the second most managers in Premier League after Southampton. And now I think we're still third or fourth on the list. Um, did Pochettino, or sorry, did Levy get lucky with Pochettino? And are we going to go back to what it's been like at Tottenham for a long time with this management merry-go-round? The average amount of time that a manager stays with Daniel Levy's 18 months, if you take Pochettino out of it, how long is uh, Jose Mourinho going to last? Um, I don't know how long Jose's going to last. No, that's number one. Number two, um, did Spurs get lucky with uh, Maurizio Pochettino? Um, You could argue that. What I would say is that if every single club that signs a player that is highly successful means they're lucky. And if every single club that signs a bad player means that they're inept, incapable, then that applies to every single club in the country at some stage. You Have a look at arguably the biggest club in the country, what's happened to them since Sir Alex Ferguson has gone. And I know we're not bothered about them. We're bothered about Spurs. But you can't get it right all the time. And, you know, I'm not trying to defend Gary, we're the not club. getting it right. Definitely we're, not. We're not getting it right. We're not getting it right a small percentage of the time. And it's not, it's not the fact that, you know, I don't want to compare us to, to Manchester United, but over the last year, since they decided that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the, is the man for them, they backed him. He picked the players that he wanted. He got back. They paid the... You might think it's silly money. I probably think it's silly money what they've spent out. But they backed him because they know what they need to do in order to get back to the top table. And we've not done that. We've let mm. players go. It's not only what, we, what we've done. It's what we haven't done. Mm. We've let Kieran Trippier, Fernando Lorente go and not replace them. You can't tell me that last night, Kieran Drippier on the pitch and Fernando Llorente on the pitch, there wouldn't have been a different outcome. And they are bit part players, but they were crucial. We saw it last year. Mm. I, I almost feel like we're getting into the realms of another podcast here and we've hit the 30 minute mark. So perhaps the uh, <laughs> debates on Jose Mourinho <laughs> and the debates on the culpability or lack thereof of the Tottenham board will go on. I see um, these may come up in the bell ends 
or champs of the week, depending on your view, that there is a levy out crowd getting started. God help me if we go all Arsenal fan TV. God, that will be a disgrace. But anyway, I do digress. Let's get on to the, the champ of the week. I Can I go first with my champ of the week? Yeah, go on. My champ of the week is Eric Dyer. He had been Dyer for a very long time. But he's had two decent and one excellent games in three. He actually looks sprightly out there tonight, and I don't know how people, how closely people watch games of football. I cannot watch. I'm not a savant like uh, you guys and, and HG who can watch every single player on the park and have an argument about every single player. I've watched probably three or four closely at max, and Eric Dyer against Burnley was excellent in the second half. He was cajoling, he was knocking little balls, he was breaking up the play, he was pressing forward. I thought he was very good, and I have been critical of him at times. Uh, I thought he was my champ of the week. Now, who is your champ of the week, Gary? Well, it's actually champs, plural. Um, I'm uh, voting the Spurs fans who went all the way to Leipzig to get behind their side last night. Um, You know, Fans, football fans, never cease to amaze me. Um, and I put those uh, regular travelling Spurs fans right at the top of that. So my my champs of the week are the travelling Spurs fans. Excellent. And now, what about your Bellin of the week, Seb? Oh, sorry, your champ of the week. I'm saying, I'm looking, <laughs> why am I saying Bellin? Because this is someone who's caught coronavirus. So I was thinking, Bellin, <laughs> you flipped the <laughs> no, script. My champ of the week is uh, Evangelos Maranakis. Uh, he's the Olympiacos owner, I think also maybe the Nottingham Forest owner. Um, he's caught coronavirus, uh, which has seen the um, postponement uh, again, I think, of the Manchester City-Arsenal game because he came into contact with Arsenal players. Um, I'm just hoping this kind of goes go, goes mega, really. I'd like to see the whole season cancelled and uh, has to be um, picked up again from this time last year. And if you go back a year... Um, we're still in the title hunt. We've got a crucial game coming up against Liverpool. Uh, win that and, you know, things are looking great. Um, we're still in the Champions League and we've got a lovely new stadium to look forward to. So things are looking up. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> now, what about your bell end of the week, Gary? Um, well, I think it just about qualifies in this week. I'm looking back to that FA Cup tie against uh, Norwich and the penalties um, and in particular, the uh, Jedson Fernandez penalty, which I thought was one of the, the weakest penalties I've ever seen taken by a professional footballer. So uh, Jedson Fernandez, unfortunately, gets my bell end of the week vote. And Seb? Um, my bell end of the week goes to Daniel Levy, uh, not just because of what's happened on the pitch, but um, there was a meeting uh, last week, I believe, uh, with the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, Uh, in which his direct quote was that he sees no correlation between money spent and winning trophies. I just don't understand what world he lives in. Uh, I'd like him to tell that to Liverpool. I'd like him to tell that to Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid. I'd also like him to tell that to Blackburn Rovers fans who, uh, you know, going back 20, 30 years, were financed by Jack Walker with the pure intention of winning the league. Um, The more I look at it, the more I think... You know, the guy is clueless. I'm not part of the Levy Out Brigade, but I really worry for the future of our football club. Well, my bell end of the week is the guy, I think a pseudo-journalist, who comes up to Jose at the end of the press conference after the Champions League loss 
and starts filming him on his phone and saying to him, cheer up, everything's going to be okay. And Jose, Jose just stands there looking at him and they're sort of staring each other down. And Jose's like, what? And he's like, cheer up, everything's going to be okay. And he just repeated it three times. And I think he deserved to get a you know, coffee poured on his head. Like, what was he actually on about? If anybody listening knows, please comment uh, on the pod post on Facebook or on Twitter and let me know because I have no idea. Absolutely none. What about the funniest, weirdest, movie, most moving moment of the week, Gary? Um, I'm going to go for a moving moment. And I truly believe that Lucas Moura cares about Spurs, about his team and truly wants to succeed. Um, and on the final whistle last night, it looked like he was very, very close to tears. It wasn't, it wasn't show. It wasn't for effect. You know, he was totally broken. And uh, I found that quite moving. Yes, I noticed that as well. And in fact, he was actually in tears. There was an article about it. Um, and you could see the, the video with the article that he was crying. And that certainly was a bit of a contrast to what happened in the Champions League last year when there were tears of joy. Seb, what's your funniest, weirdest, most moving moment of the week? Well, I kind of put it on the most moving, but my, I've, I've got two boys, um, the eldest of whom is is six years old, and he still has um, like un, uh, unrelenting hope uh, for Tottenham Hotspur. So he knew, he obviously understood. I'm trying to teach him about aggregate scores and things like that. He understood we were losing uh, going into the second leg. Um, unfortunately for him, it was just past his bedtime, but. Um, Leipzig obviously scored after about uh, 10 minutes. So I went up to tell him while he was in bed. And I think he didn't affect him at all. He still firmly believed Spurs were going to win. He came into my bedroom this morning, woke me up. Did we win? Did we win? And uh, I just wonder how many more of these defeats it's going to take to kind of knock the Spurs stuffing out of him. Um, I don't think we're that far off. Well, my funniest, weirdest, most moving moment of the week is connected to your uh, champ of the week. It's the Arsenal players in coronavirus isolation, Aviva suggested that they could just sit in at the Emirates for a midweek game and they would be fairly well isolated out there um, because uh, their seats are pretty empty. There'd definitely be a place where they'd go and have a lie down and take it easy. Um, God, if anybody was going to spread the virus, I would have had money on it being Arsenal players. So there you go. That is the end of the midweek show, reviewing the Leipzig uh, loss and us being gored by a Red Bull. Shout out to Luke Harper of TottenhamOzspur.com here for his excellent cover work again for us. He is a genius. I would ask everybody to go and follow Gary Stevens on social media. His Facebook and Twitter handles and his website are in the information about this show, which gets uh, posted onto Facebook and onto Twitter. Uh, Give us a like and a follow. If you go and give us a a five-star review and a great review on iTunes. If you don't mind, that would be fantastic. I've been uh, Mr. Aaron Jolly all the way from Sydney, Australia. Uh, I've been joined by Gary Stevens and Sebastian Short, and I will finish by saying, come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Spurs. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swell and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle, and this'll help things turn out for the best. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look 
If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Come on! Always look on the bright side of life. Sports Social Podcast Network.